Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. It's hump day. We're halfway through the work week. You're feeling good. You're on your drive home. You're at home. Where If you're listening on Apple, you're probably on your drive home. If you're watching on YouTube, you're sitting back. You just enjoyed dinner. And you're like, what does Whitlock have on his mind today? And why has he got that big smile on his face? Because I got the big smile on my face because I'm trying to fight back the tears. I, I, I just got to be honest. This show is going to be difficult and tough for me today, but I'm going to do it. It's going to be a great show. Uh, Royce White is going to be here. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, D.C. Drano. I think D.C. Drano's real name is Rogan. Rogan's going to be here. Uh, You guys know him as D.C. Drano all over social media. We're going to talk about the Trump indictment and where I land on all of this. Uh, We're going to bring in uh, Anthony and Virgil, the Walker brothers, do a little Tennessee harmony within this show while talking about something related to the overall topic we're going to get into today, the, the Reformation of America. The American Reformation, I believe, is what I'm calling it. And uh, we may also, we're going to play it by ear. Depends on how long I go with Royce and Drano and everybody else. I may try to sneak some Steve Kim in at the end of this show. Uh, So stay tuned for that. We'll have to play it by ear. You know I can get long-winded. I can get emotional. I got to get through this fire starter and, and I don't, it's an unscripted fire starter. So that could mean I might sit here and talk for 10 hours and then be like, oh, Royce, Drano, Anthony, Virgil, I apologize. And Steve Kim. But anyway, I want to talk a little sports with Steve Kim. We'll see if we sneak it in at the back end of this show, or we may just release it as, you know, Whitlock and Cosell as a separate, but stay tuned for any and all of that. Uh, but before I get into today's topic, I want to talk to you guys about what motivates me, what brings me joy, what brings me satisfaction, what makes me think that I'm making a difference in this world, and that's our support of Preborn. You guys know Preborn. I talk about them all the time. I read your emails that you send me uh, about your donation to Preborn. Preborn is one of the leaders in fighting the abortion movement and in fighting the murder of children in the womb. Preborn has saved more than 200,000 babies by introducing their mothers to them while in the womb through ultrasounds. The ultrasounds is $28, five of them cost $140. When a woman, an expectant mother, is given an ultrasound and she meets that baby in the womb, hears that heartbeat in the womb. She's far more likely to choose life and that's when preborn really steps in. It's just after the ultrasounds where they really step in and support the mother, support the woman through the pregnancy and through the first two years of that baby's life, providing all the help, the assistance and the essential items that a mother would need uh, to get that baby started in this world on the right path. Preborn is amazing. Preborn is a big part of our movement here at Fearless. It's awesome when I hear from you Fearless soldiers and you email me and tell me, hey, Jason, I supported Preborn. 
because I know you're changing your mindset and I know that or you're confirming, affirming your mindset that life starts in the womb. Life starts in the womb and we have to have the right mindset uh, about children, babies in the womb. They're not fetuses. They're not clumps of cell. They're not non-humans. God knew them in the womb, made them in his image in the womb. And so I need you guys to do what we do. We dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. And then we give money. Or we give the Jason Whitlock way, preborn.com slash Jason. That's the way I like to give. Some people get irritated when I say this, but I, I, I'm saying it because I need it. I, I, I need that credit and, and, and want that credit because it motivates me. It, it drives me to continue to do this show. It lifts me up on days like today when I'm not in the best mood because the news of the day uh, and, and the way this culture war, the spiritual war is going brings me down. Just, I'm just being completely honest. And what brings me up is getting emails from you guys and hearing from Dan Snyder and the people at Preborn. Hey, Jason, your, your audience is supporting us. Love to hear that. It it's, gives me great joy. I'm making, we're making, all of us, people behind the camera, people that come on camera with me, those of you that just watch the show, those of you that get in the chats every day and, and really support this show, those of you that tell your friends and evangelize for this show, Preborn keeps me motivated. And so thank you so much for giving to Preborn. Thank you so much for sharing with me your donations to Preborn. I, I'm not big on talking about charity and, and the giving that, you know, I, I think that should be a private matter. I make an exception as it relates to preborn because it, it, a lot of times it feels like no one's really fighting for babies in the womb in America right now. And I think this is something we have to do publicly and let others know and, and try to infect others with our mindset that life begins inside the womb. So <clears throat> tend to go overboard when I talk about preborn. You guys know what to do. Pound 250, say the word baby, and then give. Or preborn.com slash Jason, and then give. And then the other thing you can do is go to our email address, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Email me and say, Jason, I gave today. That guarantees you a response from me. The other thing you can tack on in there is like, hey, Jason, love the show. Uh, can't wait for roll call. Want to be there and stand shoulder to shoulder with you guys as we push back against this toxic culture that's going on. And, and today, that's a perfect segue into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. I, I had to call Royce White <clears throat> this morning and, and have Royce help me talk through what it is I wanted to say today. Because there's a lot I want to say and I don't know how to properly frame it. It, it, it's not something at the moment that I'm able to just sit down and write, here's what, exactly what I want to say. So today I'm going to do a little bit of emoting, and then as quickly as I can, I'm going to get Royce in here to hopefully clean up 
and crystallize and make my message a bit more concise. But I, I, I just, I, I wanna, we're in the middle of what I believe is the American Reformation. Th th this, this society is being remade. It's not the first time American society has been remade. The last time where I think something this dramatic uh, went on with America where we were being remade was in the 1920s. And we had the consumerism reformation or rebirth. We became a consumer-based society. P th things that we used to have to do ourselves, technological advancements took a lot of those burdens off of us. And we started having a bunch more free time and businesses started figuring out ways to market ideas and products to the American public and make us all consumers rather than worker bees. And so just, just if you really understand the 1920s and, and what went on, so I was reading this morning about household chores and what used to be commonplace, that it would take all day, once a week, for someone to move all their furniture around so they could take the carpets and the rugs that were around the house and go outside and beat and shake and clean the carpets that way. You'd have to move all the furniture around to do this. This was a project. And, and canning foods, preparing for winter and all that was a project. And so life was completely different. And then the electric sweeper or sweepers came around and you didn't have to move all your furniture around. You didn't have to take your rug or carpet outside and beat it and clean it. You just ran a sweeper over it. This is what was going on in the 1920s. This freed up all kinds of time for people. People used to work all day. Men would go work a job. Women would have things that absolutely had to be done inside the house for survival, for sanitary reasons, for just to have a effective, smoothly operating home. These technological advances, the assembly line and all this other stuff, condensed work. Work used to be seven days a week. And then because of the technological advance, it became six days a week. And then I think it was Henry Ford or somebody uh, figured out the assembly line process. And, and the next thing you know, work was five days a week. And it went from nine and 10 hours a day of regular work to just eight hours a day. People had more free time. And then so people like a guy named Edward Bernays, great psychologist at this time, I think the nephew of Sigmund Freud, he started working with businesses on filling up people's free time by making them consumers and, and using advertising and marketing campaigns to make people want things that they really didn't need. We used to consume and mostly get things that we needed. Then in the 1920s, we went to like, nah, let's get what you want and, and get as much as you want as possible. And so I, I, I did not know this, but the word halitosis was 
virtually unheard of, rarely used. Listerine figured out, like, hey, we're gonna make halitosis a popular word in the culture, and then we're gonna make everybody fearful of, they don't, you don't want halitosis. Gargle this Listerine so you can avoid halitosis. Halitosis has something to do with bad breath or whatever. People used to not worry about that. But again, in the consumer of these technological, people had time to worry about things that used to not matter. And so we became a consumer-based society. Dramatic change in American culture. And it's the start of a process that made product more important than human beings. This has started in the 1920s. And a hundred years later, look where we are. We don't value human beings. We value product. We value invention. We value artificial intelligence. We value data. We value entertainment. We value everything more than humans. And humans are now a problem because they're not as necessary as they once were. When, when projects around the house that were necessary for your survival took all day and, were, and was a seven day a week project, people valued kids because you know what kids could do? Help with your survival. They could do the work. Once they started coming up with products that could do the work, Kids became less necessary, and voila, here we are in 2023, and you know what, everybody should get an abortion. And there's too many people on the planet. And why are you having so many kids? That's selfish. This is a great mindset change that has gone on for the last 100 years. And, and we've seen the effects of that. Man has become his own God. And, and anybody that has any understanding of the Bible understand God is very jealous and he wants you dependent upon him for your survival. These technological advances, this consumerism society doesn't value God for its survival. It values man. And so man has anointed himself God and man is very flawed. He comes into the world with a very sinful nature and, and needs God to actually combat his sinful nature. And so here we are in 2023, and we're going through a reformation, an anti-Christian revolution. And so I, I unpacked all that because I don't want to be misunderstood, but yesterday when I was watching the news accounts about the indictment of Donald Trump, and everybody, even CNN, seems to be in agreement that these charges are bogus. And, and, and like, they're really doing this to a president. Th these trumped up 34 charges that, you know, it, it's a joke what Alvin Bragg is doing. And I'm like, man, I'm living in a country I just don't recognize. This is crazy. They're doing this to an American president. But I unpack all that other stuff to say, I don't want people to reduce this to just Donald Trump. What I've been experiencing, what many of you have been experiencing 
probably over the last decade, but in great detail and at an intense level over the last five years, there's almost nothing I recognize about America and what we're mainstreaming and normalizing. Budweiser is putting out a beer can celebrating some little man that thinks he's a woman. And we're affirming that. Budweiser, a great American corporation. It's now been sold to someone else, but who cares? This Dylan Mulvaney, who's been, you know, who's friends with Joe Biden and invited to the White House and somehow is this great American because he thinks he's a woman. Really? This is where we are? I don't recognize this. I'm 55. This is not a new normal that I can adjust to. I cannot adjust to this. I'm sorry. And and, you're transphobic. Well, I guess that I am. Transphobic wasn't even a word for most of my life. I had never heard it until the last five, six years. Never heard it. It's like, wow, what kind of America are we in? And then I looked, it's not just Trump's indictment, but then I looked and I was like, Chicago is a hot mess. It's racked with violence. It, it, it's, it's, it's just not, and again, I lived in Indianapolis. I used to go up to Chicago. One of my best friends lived in the Chicago area. Chicago was a great place that you wanted to go visit. You couldn't really pay me to go spend time in Chicago, leisure time in Chicago now. Not not this Chicago, under Lori Lightfoot, and now she's being replaced by a guy, Brandon Johnson, who's more progressive, more Marxist, dumber than Lori Lightfoot. This guy really wants to defund the police. He promised that. I'm like, I, I just don't, I don't recognize this, that, that, that we see a clear problem, the violence in Chicago, the, 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 the chaos in Chicago, the rioting, the looting, the, the, just the stupidity of Chicago's not working, it's falling apart. And the system is installing more of the same lunacy. They're doubling down on the craziness that has created all of the chaos. We're not going the right direction. And then in Wisconsin, uh, they just had some vote where the Supreme Court is going to flip now to the progressive side, and this is going to impact abortion laws in Wisconsin, could have an impact on elections, because there's been some election reform in Wisconsin that may all get overturned. And this is a critical swing state. And, and I'm like, things aren't going. There is no blowback or re- sustained blowback or backlash to all the crazy things that have been wrought by our descent into leftism, into an anti-God culture. It, it's, it's, it seems like This is the direction we're going. It seems consumerism, it was a force of nature that could not be stopped. 
And this anti-God movement, this Marxist movement, this atheist secular movement in America doesn't seem like it's going to be stopped. America now is hostile to all the values that I use to have success in this world. And, and there may be leftists watching this that are laughing at, get used to it, buddy. I'm glad, I'm glad this upsets Whitlock, this old man and blah, blah, blah. And, and you're all right. I'm really bothered and confused and, and sometimes just feel like, hey man, do I really, is this really what I want? This is really what we're gonna leave young people? And so I say all that to say, my new position on all of this, and, and, and I'm gonna play, and I'm sorry for making Royce wait this long, I'm, I'm coming to you here in a second, Royce. This is not an original idea. Rush Limbaugh uh, threw it out shortly before his death that this is the direction we were headed. Uh, but I'm pro-secession. That's the only path forward for those of us that believe in God. We have no common ground with the other side. They believe men can get pregnant and they want to have discussions about that. They believe murdering babies in the womb is an appropriate behavior. They went from, what was it, safe, legal, and rare, to people out in the streets writhing in pain that want abortion on demand and abortion is just another form of birth control. I don't have common ground with them. I'm never going to have common ground with them. I don't want them to, uh, they don't have to adopt my position. But it's clear as day they're going to force their positions on me. And so th there's this whole conversation about Christian nationalism. And I I've seen people debate this. Is Christian nationalism good? Is it bad? Is it? I'm a Christian nationalist. I don't want to be in a country that disadvantages believers. And that's where we're at right now in America. We're in a country that disadvantages believers. You atheists out there that are celebrating, celebrate. You have every right. You're winning. And perhaps you've won. But for those of us that are believers, our only path forward is secession. We have to break away from these people. And, and I don't have any animus towards them, but let's divvy it up and, and let's split this country in half, give the atheists their half, and we'll take the other half. And I don't care where it's at. If I, if I gotta move to Alaska, I'll move to Alaska. If, if they give us the north and they take the south, they can have the hot weather and all that. I'll move to Alaska, Montana, wherever. But we got to split this up. There is no common ground with the non-believers. They're satanic. They don't want a culture or society that has anything to do with God. And as a believer, I, I can't. I can't go with that. And so <clears throat> I, I was even I was thinking about these Hebrew Israelites 
not Bishop Nathaniel and the, the racist Hebrew Israelites. I'm talking about Pastor Dow and his group that are like, man, I'm moving out to the woods and just doing my own thing. They're not wrong. And I don't care who does, who does or doesn't like it. They're not wrong. You have to separate yourself from these lunatics. Says it in the Bible, it's all in Acts, come up from out, out from them. Again, do, can I live out in the woods like Pastor Dow and those NFL players? I can't do it, it's not me. I'm afraid of bugs, afraid of snakes, all of that. But I do wanna come out from, from away from these people. Let's split this country up. That's the only solution. Anybody talking about anything else is lying to themselves and they, oh, it's gonna go back to normal. No, it's not. There's no peace with these. You can't reason with people that think men can get pregnant. How are you gonna reason with them? Why are you gonna find common ground? It can't be done. They, they want drag queens performing for kids. You can't find common ground with that. They want little teachers talking to little kids, your kids, about sex and sexuality and their gender. You, you can't make peace. You can't find common ground with them. Secession's the only answer. Rush Limbaugh said it. Let's play the clip and then let's go to Royce. I've referenced this, I've alluded to this a couple of times because I've seen others allude to this. I actually think that we're trending toward secession. I see more and more people asking, what in the world do we have in common with the people who live in, say, New York? What is there that makes us believe that there is enough of us there to even have a chance at winning New York, especially if you're talking about votes. I see a lot of bloggers, I can't think of names right now, a lot of bloggers have written extensively about how distant and separated and how much more separated our culture is becoming politically and that it can't go on this way. There cannot be a peaceful coexistence of two completely different theories of life, theories of government, theories of how we manage our affairs. We can't be in this dire a conflict without something giving somewhere along the way. And uh, so I, I know that there is a sizable and growing sentiment for people who believe that that is where we're headed, whether we want to or not, whether we want to go there or not. I myself haven't haven't uh, haven't made up my mind. So I still haven't given up the idea that we are the majority and that all we have to do is find a way to unite and win, and, and our problem uh, is the fact that there are just so many rhinos, so, so, so many Republicans in the Washington establishment who'll do anything to maintain their membership uh, in the establishment because of the perks and the opportunities that are presented for their kids and so forth. 
Quit betting on politics. Not going to fix it. The, the Republicans aren't going to fix it. It, it, it. They're just not. They're cowards. They're in on it. Uniparty. They like the money. They like the privilege. They like being on TV. Not going to fix it. Any of them that's not talking about, hey, look, we got we to gotta go our separate ways from these guys. You, you can't, can't be done. They think men can be women by just saying it in their heads. No common ground. Royce White, uh, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, am, am I crazy for thinking secession is the only solution? Uh, I wouldn't say you're crazy for thinking succession. Um, I would say, I would, I would not say it's the only solution. Um, it, it's certainly an option. Um, I agree with the rest of your point completely. And we talked about it earlier on the phone. I think the rise of secularism, the rise of, of, um, the rise of, of radical materialism and, and an anti-God culture are all inextricably linked. And, and they came about in, in waves. They came about in a progression, a, a, a progression that can be tracked very, very uh, easily and, and notably. And, and now we sit at the, at the precipice of what is an, a, a war on God. As far as succession goes, though, I mean, this is a different consideration entirely. I, I, I want to stress to everybody out there that um, the greatest strategic military advantage that this country has is two oceans. And as soon as you give up half of the country to anti-American, anti-God Marxists, it won't be long before the Chinese army is on our shores. And we, we have to be very thoughtful about, about what that means. Um, it's much, it will be much tougher to defend invasion if we concede our border to that degree, in my opinion. It won't be long before the Chinese are in Mexico. It won't be long before the Chinese are in, let's say, New York City, Canada, wherever, wherever. Uh, and that'll be a different proposition to, to, uh, from a military standpoint. I would offer I would offer a different explanation. I would say we should expand and then balkanize. Let's reverse engineer it. Let's expand. Yeah, let's expand. Let's annex Mexico. Walk Let, me, how do you do that? Walk me through that. Let's let's annex Mexico and Canada. Let's annex both of them. So everybody's going to say that's crazy. Everybody's going to say, well, that's globalism. Everybody's going to say we are, we're already stretched too thin. No, we're not. We're stretched too thin because Kissinger and a bunch of other global elites convinced everybody that the neocon, neoliberal order was contingent upon us protecting these international interests of the crown. As soon as we pull back from those interests, Taiwan, South Korea, um, Japan, uh, possibly Israel, uh, the entire European Union will be much better positioned to defend North America. We should expand. Listen, we're in a jump ball now. Glenn Beck said it. Everybody, I mean, we, we, all, we all who are watching know what we're in. The question is, what's the solution and what will protect American freedom? And then when you talk about American freedom, you're talking about a physical, political consideration, not a spiritual one. And there's a difference. Um, the spiritual influences the culture. The spirit is upstream for culture. Culture is upstream from politics. But when you're talking at this level of borders and military and dividing up land, you're talking about a physical worldly matter. And in that, um, China's going to take the Eurasian landmass. 
they're gonna they're gonna execute McKinder's um, McKinder's geographical pivot of history. They're gonna execute the Eurasian um, the 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 control of the Eurasian world island in the heartland. Uh, they're gonna create one belt, one road, and the anti-Muslim Saudis and Persians are gonna show their true colors, and they're gonna sell out the entire Arab and Muslim world to an anti-God monolithic CCP regime, and the European Union will be next. That is the party of Davos. The European Union and the monarchy, the, the what's left of that monarchy is the intellectual tradition right there in Davos with the World Economic Forum and our traitorous elites here in this country. We need to shore up our borders because Mexico and Canada both pose a threat. Canada aligned with the, with the European monarchy and Mexico to the highest bidder. And right now, China's already colonizing and buying up much of Mexico. Annex, expand, then balkanize. In or, you got to do that with the gun, right? Absolutely, you do. Or, or you can, and this is what Christians must must consider as well. Um, how strong has our ministry really been? Well, whether we say within the border or even to our our allied neighbors, I'm not so convinced that our Christian ministry is as is as strong and as as um, fruitful and as ambitious or or committed as we would like to think. I still have more faith that our ministry could be more effective. And and over the look, you know, Vatican II Vatican II was if an example of nothing else, certainly great heresy, but if it was an example of nothing else, it was that there was an appetite for Catholicism and Christianity out there in the world where before it wasn't. Right? I think before Vatican II there weren't many bishops from Africa and Asia and some of these other continents, by Vatican II, you had uh, a, a majority of bishops from a number of other places other than Europe and, and America. Um, so there's an appetite out there for Christianity. The question is, how how dire do we think uh, the ministry and gospel is needed? And, and that could even be said of Canada and, and North America. Look, everybody in Canada lives in the first 150 miles north of the border. Most of the people in Mexico uh, or the, where we're having a problem in Mexico is about 150 miles south of, of that border. So, I mean, we, we are in a place where we have to consider this. Most people will say it's crazy, but most of those people are in on the jerk off. They're ready for the decline. They want to see this country fail or they don't care one way or another. They don't care if the Chinese are in charge or whoever else. So. We take. Canada, that seems like we're adding Trudeau and a bunch of more Marxist, leftists. It seems like we're just increasing our problem. No, no, not at all. No, because Trudeau's not Trudeau. Um, Trudeau's a piker. You know, Trudeau's a, a running dog for the CCP and the European monarchy. Um, the, the the Canada trucker. Um, uh, uprising there and demonstrations there prove that there is an appetite for national national sovereignty even there in Canada. And we don't know how many, see, here's the thing that's hard to diagnose, Jason. We don't know how many people out there are actually all in on this ridiculous Marxist leftist grift and, and, and brainwashing, or how many people just haven't taken the time to look under the rock. I mean, me, even me, I honestly don't know. I talk to people every day who watch you for the first time and they go, I used to hate Jason Whitlock, but I never actually heard him speak. Now I like him. 
that's a sign that the brainwashing that has happened is being represented as wide, widely held belief. And that's what Rush was saying. Rush was saying, I still think there's more of us than them. We don't know how many there are. And I think that's probably true of Canada and Mexico as well. I have a, a proud Mexican uh, heritage and my own bloodline. And I know many of the Mexican people, many of the common folk in Mexico believe in God. They have a rich Catholic tradition in Mexico. Now, what the, what the mainstream media will show you on either side of the aisle is this huge cartel problem. Well, that's cartel and government elites who are corrupt, same as our country. But there are a lot of people who believe in God, and I think that they would welcome uh, some sovereignty and a, and a reprieve from corruption from the Mexican government. So now unpack what you balkanize. What do you mean by yeah. that? Well, I think I think once we expand and we get our borders secure, it makes it makes sense to um, reconsider what it means to live in a regional way. Right. Um, There was an old um, Christian thought about people being grouped together by the the food that they crop or their um, their geographical location, their their regional location, their weather, their their crops, their uh, their skin color, in some cases, their their language, uh, all of these things that that are cultural identities and and sort of reimagining um, a, a more regional based federal government. Uh, is what I'll say, uh, a shrinking of federal government. Um, but but let's not say the destruction of the federal government completely, but a reimagining to a more balkanized, regional-based federal government. Roy, you always this do is why, this. This is why I'm running for, but this is why I'm running for, I mean, these are the type of political, uh, you know, ideas that have to be considered now because we are where we are. Like, the, the, the Chinese are taking the Eurasian landmass. I mean, are we going to drain? Here's the question, Jason. Are we going to drain ourselves fighting the Russians in Ukraine and fighting the Chinese in Taiwan? Or are we going to shore up our border? Which one makes more sense? Because I'll tell you what, whether you like it or not, one of them's already being deployed. And if we don't take this country back and we don't move in a different direction, the globalist elites who have been putting our dollar on a downward crash for 100 years and put us in a bunch of wars that have inflated the currency, they will, as sure as my name is Royce White, they will take us and drag us into the deep waters of a conflict that we cannot possibly hope to win on a landmass where the technology of war has changed and ships are nothing but big, moving, slow vessels waiting to sink out at sea. They will drag us into a conflict that will break our economy and break, more importantly, break the morale of our people. So which one would you like? Who's the leader? And and again, same question goes for my suggestion, secession. Mm -hmm. Who's the leader that's capable of executing your strategy or my strategy? Well, that leader hasn't even emerged yet, I don't think. Um... We're, we're talking about a 10 to 20 year deal on both ways. Succession won't be quick. Uh, and, and, and let's say this, the quick, this isn't a call to arms or to be reckless or to be, to be um, aimlessly violent. Um, the presence or the potential of violence always being there is a necessary, necessary, um, is necessary. But this isn't a call to be reckless. Um, any succession that would happen quick would be very bloody as well, unnecessarily bloody. Because we don't know, look, we don't know how many of these people who wave a MAGA flag aren't really still jerking off to Fox News. And I know that, you know, you got your people over there at Fox. I like Tucker. He's great. 
But by and large, Fox News is a neocon rhino establishment. We don't know how many people are really invested in what they say they're invested in. We have to diagnose this. And the only way we can do that is to start to forward original ideas and see what takes. But other than that, we're all sitting back uh, in the crosshairs waiting for the headshot. Okay, look. Who fits the profile? Who who's who's out there? Take my strategy, secession off the mm-hmm. table. That, that that was something I was like. Can we negotiate this? Yeah. You godless people. Blah blah blah. But your strategy. Who who mm-hmm. who? Th- that sounds like something. Only, only person I could think of that could execute that strategy uh, lives in Russia, and his name's Putin. Mm-hmm. We, I don't see. Do we have anybody well, it's <laughs> that not has my, the balls? Well. Well, the Rolling Stone uh, about a week ago, I've been talking about Annex in Mexico for a long time in my inner circle um, because we just we just we brainstorm these political ideas with the maps out all the time. This is common common practice for me. But um, about a week back, the Rolling Stone said that Trump asked one of his, his advisors for battle plans to attack. Uh, to uh, um, invade Mexico. Now, the way they framed it, the way they worded it might have been salacious and might have been intended to make Trump seem like Putin. And it's not by accident that the International Criminal Court and a kangaroo court there in New York City go after and uh, uh, Putin and Trump in a, in, a, in a legal way in the last you know 30 days. Um, so I don't think that Donald Trump was actually talking about invading Mexico, uh, but I do believe that he and many people uh, are starting to flirt with the idea that if Russia's going to take Ukraine and and China's going to take Taiwan, why would we let two nations that we completely subsidize and protect stand there as neutral players? Doesn't make sense. Um, so when you, to answer your question, uh, when you say Vladimir Putin, I start to think Donald Trump, and it's not because they're so much alike, but that they've disrupted the flow of, of the international uh, political landscape. They have the balls, let's say. And look, wars come, look, wars come and go. The whole, look, the whole thing when people start talking about war and, and, and blood and peace and everybody goes, we don't want to see anybody die unnecessarily. But I think you articulated in the beginning of this show well. We're completely killing kids in the womb. And now we're even okay letting kids die in school shootings if it's transgenders who are being dead name and misgendered. So we're getting to a place where the premium on life is obviously gone. Let's get down to brass tech and figure out how we're going to protect our sovereignty. And some people are going to die. That's a part of life. Royce, uh, great job. I, we talked this morning. You held back on me and then you blew me up. when you <laughs> Now I got to <laughs> I'll be thinking about this all night and probably have you back on tomorrow to unpack it even more. Uh, thank you so much. Great job. Uh, go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. You guys know we're getting together here in about nine, 10 days here in Nashville. Need you here in Nashville. Well, let's go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. DC Drano, next. Atheist, the secular world, the culture, uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can 
and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Uh, this man probably doesn't need much of an introduction if you're plugged into the social media world. Uh, Rogan O'Hanley, goes by the name DC Drano, is one of the most powerful influencers on Instagram and Twitter. I think he's the perfect person uh, to help advance the conversation we're having today. He's plugged into the political scene in a way that most people just aren't. Uh, he's connected to Donald Trump and just he's just plugged in. And so I, I so appreciate uh, Drano taking the time. And, and Drano, just because some of my audience and myself am relatively new to these deep waters in the political war, uh, tell us how you got the name, D.C. Drano. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people are probably surprised to see me back on Twitter because I was banned for two years and Elon brought me back. So uh, I'm not surprised people there aren't as familiar with me, but uh, DC Drano stands for draining the DC swamp. 
And I used to be a Hollywood entertainment attorney out in Los Angeles, as crazy as that sounds. And once President Trump won in 2016, I knew I had to support this guy. I recognized the moment in history that we're at where there's a Marxist invasion from within of our nation. And I started posting anonymously on Instagram and I eventually quit everything to do it full time in Florida because I think it requires my full effort and the full effort of so many others. All right, so we've been having a discussion today, just had it with Royce White. My suggestion, my reaction after this bogus Trump indictment and and then Brandon Johnson winning in Chicago and what happened with the Wisconsin Supreme Court and just Budweiser hopping in bed with Dylan Mulvaney and all this, I've just had it up to here, Drano, and I'm like, hey, secession has to be discussed. I don't have common ground with the other side. I I don't think that anybody with faith in God has common ground with the other side. Abortion is such an important issue to the other side. I mean, they have convulsion. Oh, we can't kill babies, we can't kill babies. Well, life's not worth living. I don't have common ground. I, 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 I honestly think we should be exploring ways to separate ourselves from people that don't believe in the founding documents, don't believe in the founding fathers, and don't believe in God. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I feel the same angst that you and so many others feel, especially after yesterday. And while I am personally not a proponent of secession, I'll I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I, I agree that I don't share values with these people, but I do believe that they can be convinced in the long run, uh, I believe that they were programmed like this from media brainwashing and, and propaganda, and they can be deprogrammed. You know, I uh, was not nearly as pro-life. I've always been politely pro-life, and then only in the last four or five years have I been so open and outward with it. And I know I can see so many other people changing as well. Um, but you know what? I believe that we are the majority in this country by a lot. I believe America is a 60-40 country in favor of Republicans as long as we can get rid of at least some of this election fraud, which I think we're getting close uh, to, to the tipping point. And I also look at yesterday, the media wants us to be upset and downtrodden, right? But so here's what I'd say. Chicago, we were never going to win Chicago. They, that's been a blue city. I used to live in Chicago. It's been a blue city for 70 plus years. So I kind of not that concerned with that. And frankly, I think a lot of, you know, 50,000 Republicans will move to other swing states and red states. So it's actually kind of a benefit in a way. Uh, Wisconsin, we won the Senate supermajority yesterday in the state legislature. They have the power now in both the House and Senate to impeach and to override vetoes from the Democrat government. That is a major victory. And then in North Carolina, a Democrat has switched over to a Republican in the House, and now North Carolinian uh, legislature has veto-proof supermajority in both House and Senate. And that Democrat governor has vetoed 75 bills in the last few years. So they're going to be over to, able to override that now. So there were some major victories yesterday that a lot of the news and, and people just don't even know about because they're trying to hide it. That's interesting. I needed that kernel of hope because last night, this morning, this afternoon, I'm just I'm just in a dark mindset. I just Mm -hmm. I'm so baffled 
that, and again, I, Rogan, I, I'm, I'm 55. And so I was telling Royce this morning, Royce is like 31. I was like, Royce, the reason I'm so upset is because I lived so much of my life in America in a different place where actually if you embraced Christian values, and it's not that I was the greatest Christian early on, but I did employ Christian values to find success in America and to go from nothing, uh, living 400 square foot, one bedroom apartment with my dad in 1984 to living on the Wilshire Corridor in Los Angeles for a decade, one of the richest zip codes in America. I did that by employing values that all seem to be under attack now, that you're disadvantaged if you embrace values that were taught to me in the church and embrace conservative values, Christian values. That's what's so frustrating. I lived so long where my values were an advantage and now they feel like a clear disadvantage. Yeah, uh, I think I think the, the, the forces of darkness want you to feel like it's hopeless. I think hope is the number one thing people need to, to restore greatness to, to, to a culture and to a country. Uh, but, you know, in addition to the things I mentioned yesterday, I, I remind people, we have the U.S. House of Representatives in GOP control. And thanks to those 20 brave congressmen, the Patriot 20, I call them, that stood up and got a lot of concessions from Speaker McCarthy, we have what I consider a MAGA-controlled uh, House of Representatives, okay? We have the Supreme Court, six to three. That same Supreme Court that just overturned Roe v. Wade, the biggest uh, advance forward in saving innocent baby lives in 50 plus years since Roe v. Wade was enacted. Uh, and, and we've got Twitter now with a lot more free speech. President Trump got his account back. I got my account back. James O'Keefe got his account back. Mike Lindell, uh, General Flynn. We got a lot of momentum. I know yesterday was a setback, but the big picture, we, are, we have stopped the bleeding when we have the House, when we have the Supreme Court, and we're going to flip this thing in 2024. The worse it gets in our country, the more people that wake up and come over to the light, the people that were ignoring this or were uh, fooled by the propaganda, I believe the worse things get, the bigger the counter movement of the pendulum will be. And I am very optimistic for 2024. And so your optimism for 2024 means you feel like there's been enough election reform that we can stop them from doing what they did in 2020 and taking the election away from whoever Trump or whoever the Republican candidate is. I, th I, I don't think we're fully there yet based on what happened, but I think we're getting there. There have been very important changes that have been made. In Pennsylvania, the drop boxes were deemed unconstitutional by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Georgia reformed its elections. Texas is getting there. Florida shows what happens when you actually have pretty clean elections. Ron DeSantis won by 20 points uh, because Florida... We created an election police force 
We got rid of the mass mail-in ballots. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do to clean this up. Carrie Lake in Arizona, they stole it from her, but she actually just got a major victory at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, actually, you do have the right to look at ballot signature verification. And the reason why that's so important is that is now legal precedent in Arizona. After every election, people are going to be able to sue and look at ballot signature verification. And she's still fighting to get that done because the Maricopa Mafia is stopping her. But she has made a dent in that in that wall of, of fraud in Arizona and in North Carolina, in Wisconsin, with these super majorities. That is more powerful than a Supreme Court. I tell you that because they can go on offense. The Supreme Court can only rule on what's dropped before him. This supermajority legislature can override these Democrat governors and pass laws. So uh, the one thing we cannot do is give up. The one thing we must do is continue fighting and chipping away. They put this communist infestation in place for 40, 50 years. We're not going to get rid of it overnight. But with free speech and and God on our side or, or following in God's path, doing what God would want us to do, you know, it's actually kind of an opportunity because throughout history and all the stories in the Bible and American history, it's when times are the toughest that the most historical names emerge. The Revolutionary War, the Civil War, those are the names that we remember. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. It's time for people like Jason Whitlock and others to make their mark in history during this tough time and become heroes and inspirations for future American generations. Trino, I'll ask you one final question, let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time. Any chance that Trump and DeSantis quit bickering or Trump quits bickering with DeSantis, any chance these guys find some common ground? <laughs> Unfortunately, probably not until after the primary is over. Uh, you know, it's tough for people like me and other Floridians. We love Governor DeSantis, but a lot of us really strongly support President Trump for 2024. And we want Governor DeSantis in 2028. So uh, I was a little bit let down to know that he is running. I know a lot of people support him and that's OK. And it's going to be a little rough for the next mm, eight to 10 months, maybe maybe a year. Um, but after that, I think we'll all get on the same page and join forces again, whoever the nominee may be. I think it'll be Trump, but uh, we'll, we'll all join hands together. So I, I, I hope people keep it above the belt, you know, realize we're all on the same team. The enemy is certainly on the left. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to controlling this country and saving the entire world, it, it's going it's to be messy. There's a lot of power and a lot at stake. And uh, we, we are actually pretty blessed to have two incredible leaders as our two front runners, the Democrats don't have that. They have Joe Biden, and you know we got Trump and DeSantis. So we're we're pretty blessed in the long run. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a little rough for a while. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's the pep talk I needed. I actually feel a little bit better now after talking with DC Drano. Uh, get in my emails, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Tell me what you think. Maybe you got a pep talk for me. Uh, you guys haven't, I haven't been talking about the email address as much, so you guys haven't been emailing me as much, but I love your feedback. I live for your feedback. Uh, so hit me up, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. 
Uh, stay tuned, uh, Anthony and Virgil, the Walker brothers. Welcome back. Time for some Tennessee Harmony. Anthony Walker, Virgil Walker, uh, the Walker brothers. They're not brothers, but they might as well be brothers from another mother. Uh, here with us to do some Tennessee Harmony. Anthony, if you could uh, start us off with a prayer, be awesome. Father God, we are thankful for your blessings. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Father, be with us in this discussion today uh, that we dig deeply into your word and disseminate it to those who are watching. Bless those who are listening. Uh, and Father, bless the efforts of Fearless and what uh, you are doing through this uh, show uh, to help so many people and to bring others to Christ. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, guys, uh, it's somewhat connected to the Trump indictment, but it, it's really all that's been going on in the last couple of weeks from Budweiser uh, supporting Dylan Mulvaney, uh, some man that thinks he's a woman, to uh, just all the stuff going on in the culture. It seems like there's such a hostility to truth. And so I'm, I'm like trying to check my sanity to ask myself, uh, has the world turned more hostile towards Christianity in my lifetime? Or is that something, you know, I'm an old man on a lawn, my days were the golden days, and, and you know, this is all terrible, because I, I have to admit, I'm sure that my parents' generation and their parents' generation thought the music that we listened to and the, the, the way the Isley brothers dressed or whatever was like, man, this is terrible. This is blasphemous. This is, and, and so am I just experiencing the same thing or have things really turned hostile towards Christians in a way that's kind of unprecedented? Ooh, you said a mouthful there. There is the tendency for every generation to think that when they were younger, it was better. And as they've gotten older, it's gotten worse. Prime example you pointed out, Isley Brothers, a lot of rock bands back at the time, they're gonna say, hey man, this music is killing us, et cetera. Uh, but from a historical arc, um, the church and really God's way has always been met with violence. Uh, Peter would say it this way in 2 Peter 3 and 3, he says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Mm -hmm. So again, when you leave mankind to their own way, separate and apart from God, they pursue their own lust. Well, when someone comes in sharing God's way, it's against their lust. And anytime you tell somebody they can't do what they want to do, they will respond violently. So even the church in its inception, I mean, look at it, Jesus was killed. Right. Uh, after he you know, is resurrected and the apostles uh, begin the church on the day of Pentecost and, and the Holy Spirit meets them there. Soon thereafter, uh, there's a man named Stephen, a martyr. He was killed professing his faith. The apostles themselves, many of them died violent deaths, crucified upside down, etc. 
because of this way. So the church was met and Jesus tells us in John 15, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. So that's that's kind of the background. I would say in America, a case could be made that, yes, it's getting more overt, uh, the, the violence, the frustration, the animus towards God's way is, is becoming more overt. But it's it's always been there. And, and we have to, you know, stand even more overtly in our faith as well. Virgil, is am I, is it all in my head or are things really getting bad? Yeah, no, I, th- I think Anthony laid it up very, very well and, and kind of leaping off the passage that he mentioned in John 15. That's the last opportunity that Jesus has to really engage his disciples before uh, we, he begins the, the Passion Week where he's about to give up his life. And, and he tells them the world is going to hate you because it hated me first. And uh, that should be your expectation. But, but on, the, on the flip side of that, I also think there's something there's something to the exposure that we have to a 24 hour news cycle. Um, Jason, as, as we've uh, now been privy to things like Twitter and social media, uh, as you know, video content comes to us now from around the world, we are now much more exposed to what's happening in the world. Not that there's more of it. There's definitely more people. And as a result, there's more of it. But the, the depravity of the human heart has always been the same. Um, we are we now have a front row seat by way of, of Twitter, by way of our computers, our social media fe- news feeds uh, to experiencing it and seeing it. And, 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 and what results from that is we're, we're absolutely overwhelmed. So I think I think that's what's happening on one end. On the other end, what I would argue is that guys like yourself, like myself, have have had us have have had what I would call a, a spiritual kind of awakening to some degree. And it's made us that much more sensitive to what's been happening. You see, culture loves Christians who are nominal. Uh, culture loves Christians who stand for nothing. Culture loves Christians who attend church once a month and keep their mouth shut, don't say anything, don't allow their Christian faith to play any role in their daily lives. Culture loves Sunday morning Christians who, who check the box, go home and say nothing and allow kind of the progressive onslaught to take place. Culture hates Christians who actually stand up and speak the truth. Culture hates Christians who are now recognizing the word of God and have a desire to live that word of God in their daily lives. Now they're speaking up for issues like life, issues like marriage, issues like family. Uh, and and, and the, the Christian truth claims come into direct conflict with the kind of experience the rest of the world desires to have. So it's the fact that you and I and others who are, who are, who are making the statement, you know what, we're going to stand on biblical truth. We're going to attend church, but not just attend church. We, we're going to be we're going to live out the church in our daily lives. We indeed are the church. Uh, and as a result, there are things that we stand for. Um, and, and when we do that, when we express that on platforms like these in local areas where we are, we're going to experience a much, a much greater degree of the world's hatred. So there, there, there are multiple things going on. There are a multiplicity of things that are happening all at the same time uh, that cause you and I and others like us to feel that, that, uh, that there's a greater onslaught, that there's a greater attack when actually the attack has been the same the whole time. 
the attack has been the same the whole time, but why it feels so different to me is like things that were never discussed are discussed now. Men can get pregnant. I, I just, that, I don't, when was that discussion ever had in American history? Well, look at, look right. at what Virgil just said. He made a very good point about this. Because we have social media, because we have a way to express ourselves on a massive scale, we're now voicing the things that we believe. Before, when I was growing up, uh, you know, as, as a kid, things that you would not talk about, politics and religion. And that's what he just said. We love the condition where we can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I just don't talk about it. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe this, but we just don't say anything about it and I accept and you go home and do this. But now I have my device with me all the time. I'm quoting scripture, I'm posting scripture, I'm talking about the things I believe. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, this abortion stuff, I don't believe that. And then all your friend groups, hey, you, why do you hate this or why do you hate? And it gives that avenue of weight, of contention, of, of saying all of this. And when you stand for something, which is what Virgil brings up, which is what took place biblically, when you stand for something, the thing that you stand against, that's gonna, that opposition is coming. Just by you saying, I stand with Jesus, they're coming. So the other part of this for me is, and I think I said this earlier, but the, the, the values that I employed to have success in my career and in life, it seems like they don't, in the world, they don't give you success. And that, that's, that's frustrating. It's something I'm having to deal with and come to grips with. And, and, it, and it made me, you know, I'm just gonna have to accept that and, and deal with those consequences and, and find happiness someplace else where God actually wants me to find happiness rather than how I, you know, in my lustful, stupid way, materialistic way to find happiness. And so, but it is like frustrating. My values, the same values I express on this show, they weren't as overt, mm -hmm. but they made me very successful in the journalism profession. And I was mm -hmm. valued and decorated and compensated at a high level. Now all those same values are saying, no, 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 hide them and jump on board with values you don't believe, with, believe in and you can get all those riches. That's what frustrates me about American mm. society. So just going off the narrative that you shared, you, you held those values, but you would also say that you weren't expressing your faith. You weren't living it out, expressing it. You held the values. Here's what I would say. I think you're right, but here's the difference. Even when I was less disciplined, truth was always important to me. All of my work centered around getting to a higher level of truth. And, and the industry, even though they were uncomfortable with that truth, they rewarded me for exposing it and celebrated me for exposing it. Now, they don't reward you at all for exposing or standing on any truth. That's what's frustrating me. And that's what makes me like ask the question for, uh, uh, I, I feel like America now clearly disadvantages 
Christians and Christian values. Whereas I do think America used to have a slight lean towards, there were rewards and, and you could, a minister could say to a young Christian, if you follow these values, right. not only will you have success in your personal life, but you'll have success in your professional life as well. I think you got to take professional out of it. You'll be rewarded in your personal life. But because again, like my word, what I promise someone, extremely important to me. I'm going to do exactly what I say. That has no value right now in the business world. You can walk through me coming to Nashville and what ended my relationship with OutKick and Clay Travis. Like, man, this dude, he, his word means nothing. What was promised means nothing. And he, he's an atheist and all that. It's like, it, it means nothing. But, but, and I'm baffled by it. I'm bat when any, when people, I'm so stupid. When people don't do what they say, I'm always like, wow, really? You can do that? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the new norm, it feels like yeah. to me. And, yeah. and, and so I, I'm, it feels like we're working where we had a slight, 5149 advantage in America. Yeah. We now have a 4753 disadvantage. Yeah. And I'm yeah, wondering Jason. if that makes go ahead. Yeah, Jason, I, there's a couple of thoughts that I had as you were as you were kind of unpacking that. And I I I I hear where you are. I think you're in the same space that a lot of Americans who uh, hold the Christian values are wondering what in the world. I, I thought that that hard work paid off. I thought that that being that being a person of my word paid off. And what I'm witnessing and recognizing is that the absolute opposite seems to be what's benefiting those who hold to a victim uh, victim mentality. They're they're being benefited by companies who are willing to pay millions upon millions of dollars to their organizations. Uh, those who, who who don't keep their word, they're they're the ones who who are flourishing. This is not a new phenomenon. Um, scripture over and over and over again, in its own context, explains that there are many who were righteous or who desired to follow God, who saw the same or who experienced the same kind of thing. And what they saw was, why is it there seems to be great benefit in doing the wrong thing rather than doing the right thing? Um, the, the, the prophets thought this. Why, why are these nations uh, disobeying God, but they seem to be blessed? Uh, the psalmist David, I immediately pulled up Psalm 2 because it, it, here it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a psalm where, where it asks the question, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. What, what, is, what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, Everything that the world seems to be doing seems to be against what God is saying uh, to do. It, and they seem to be prospering and, and flourishing. That's the same feeling that you're feeling. But if you go back just a page to Psalm 1, what the psalmist writes is what God intends for you and I as believers to know and understand. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. This is important for us as believers to keep in mind and to meditate on. This world, there is a God, Scripture says that the God of this world 
is Satan. And he has a plan to benefit those who are following his path. But the reality is the end result of, of the direction that those folks who are following him are going ends in absolute eternal damnation and ruin. It is those of us who make a decision to follow God who may in the short term seem to be not doing well, not prospering, not going the right way. But scripture is absolutely clear that our way is righteous. You and I, if we're, if we're men of our word, when we lay our head down on the pillow at night, we're not worried about who's going to find out about something we did or said. If, if, we're men, if, if we're men who are following after God, we're properly taking care of our families, our loved ones. We're doing the right kinds of things that should provide a sense of peace in the here and now. But at the end of the day, we, we will see great reward if we continue to, to, to follow him. I, I have full confidence of that because I have confidence in, in his word. Amen. <laughs> that is hard to top. <laughs> Amen. You got nothing? Seriously. Amen. I, everything Virgil just pointed out, if I were to add anything uh, to what he said, it is a personal story. I remember 20 years ago, I'm in college. I'm at a Christian college. I'm, you know, teaching Bible class at church. I'm in the college ministry. I'm doing all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to live right. I'm working three jobs to pay for college. And a friend of mine that I grew up with, you know, he got locked up for crime. And I remember getting a you know, word from him that he had just seen a paper you fight in prison. And it bothered me because I'm thinking, here I am trying my best to do what's right and live what's right. And I'm on financial aid, basically going through and you're locked up and getting benefit. It just doesn't look right. And growing up and seeing drug dealers with the best cars, the best this, it just doesn't seem right. But as Virgil points out and as God's word points out, in the end, I have to take pleasure in knowing that I'm honoring God and that he's pleased with doing his will. That other stuff, it all fades away. But doing what's right, you, you will be rewarded. In and it. so we'll end on this note because I, I want to try to squeeze Steve Kim in here. I used to tell uh, there was a cousin I helped raise, Josh. He's like a little brother, little son to me. And, and I, I used to I had a very profane saying that I, I would say to him that I will not say here. But it was basically like, man, these guys that are 16, 17, 18 years old, and they got the rims on their car, and they got the car. I, that ain't gonna last, Josh. I took it ain't gonna. And then I could I see it play out because I saw it play out in my own life. The guys that when I was in college playing football and doing all this, they guys from my hometown, they would drive up to Ball State's campus. They'd have the nice car, the nice rims, and you know the girls are like, oh man, so and so's here, blah blah blah. And, and then by the time I got to be about 32, some of them guys were still driving the exact same car. He's <laughs> <laughs> old now. <laughs> and, and I was off doing my, and, and, and I could share that with my cousin and say, because and, my cousin was from Indianapolis, he would know that some of the names that I would throw out because they were popular guys around the city or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, man, he was driving that car when I was in college. And, yeah. Look now, at look, me now. Right. <laughs> How you like me now? <laughs> and, and he could see that and be like, oh, okay. But it seems like you can't do that now, uh, mm -hmm. or it doesn't seem to play out that way. 
as quickly as it did in real time with my cousin Josh and just other family members I was involved with. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it just Virgil, it, you're not. You got something else you want to say or? Are you done? No, I, 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 think, I think the word Be says hard to top your last little speech, so don't, don't take a dump on what you said the last time <laughs> by saying too much, but go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I think, again, it, it's not my words. It's the word of God. I think we just have to, it's imperative that we believe what it is we're reading, what it is that we claim we believe, and we've got to hold fast to it. It's a, there's a reason that, that the scriptures tell us to, to meditate on the law of God, meditate on the word of God. It, it's, there's a reason why why we why we go to church, why we fellowship, why things like this show are 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 important, why things like roll call are important. It's because we gather together, and we we remind ourselves of the truths that we hold to, as it relates to scripture, as it relates to our Christian walk, as it relates to how we want to live our lives. And th- those those gatherings are important. We're encouraged by them, uh, and as a result, we're not so doom and gloom. When we see the unrighteous prospering in the here and now, recognizing that there's, their, their, their journey will come to an abrupt end, and it won't be a good one apart from repentance and faith in, in Jesus Christ. Not bad, Virgil, but you did kind of dirty up. You know, stick to just <laughs> quoting scripture, man. That's always, that's always better, but not bad. Hey, we're going to go. Uh, hit the likes button. Uh, if you're watching over YouTube, uh, give me that five-star review over Apple. Uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Back. Alright, welcome back. Time for some Korean Cosell. Uh, Cosell, we got to put a little pep in our step. We only got like 20 minutes. I hate to, you know, cut your time short. It's going to really upset the audience. Uh, I got, but uh, I want to get through a couple of topics here. Let's watch Caitlin Clark. She was on Outside the Lines uh, yesterday, and she was, you know, said all the right things. Wanted a few buy. We're going to juxtapose it to what uh, Angel Reese, I think, told Brandon Marshall on his podcast. But let's watch some Caitlin Clark uh, from yesterday. Caitlin, the first lady, Dr. Jill Biden, was at the final on Sunday. She said afterwards the game was so great. She was thinking about inviting both teams to the White House, yourselves and LSU. Would you want to go to the White House as a a runner-up? I don't know. I don't think runner-ups usually go to the, the White House. I think LSU should, you know, enjoy that moment for them. And congratulations, obviously, they deserve to go there. Uh, maybe I could go to the White House on different terms, though. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, that's for LSU. So, um, you know, that's a pretty cool moment, and they should enjoy every single, you know, second of being a champion. Um, so, you know, I think that's theirs to do. But more than anything, you know, I'm just lucky enough that there were some really cool people in the arena um, at that championship game uh, Sunday night. Uh, there was some really, you know, highly sought after people um, watching and supporting women's basketball and that's exactly what this game needs so I appreciate the first lady being in the house and watching both teams and supporting the the greatness of women's basketball you know one of the things people talk about is is race as a component of this your thoughts yeah, you know, I don't think Angel should be criticized at all. Um, you know, no matter which way it goes, um, you know, she should never be criticized for what she did. Um, you know, I'm just one that competes and she competed. So um, 
I think everybody knew there was going to be a little trash talk in the entire tournament. It's not just me and Angel. So, um, you know, I don't think she should be criticized. Like I said, um, LSU deserves it. They played so well. And like I said, I'm a big fan of hers. Hmm. Steve, uh, your interpretation of what Caitlin Clark had to say there, particularly the second part about uh, whether race was part of the dynamic between her and Angel Reese. I'm going to give her credit. I think she's very well coached. She understood the temperature of not just the room, but the country. I mean, what is she going to say? Uh, so what do you think of uh, Angel Reese? Nah, she's a classless hoe. I don't care what that scrag has to say. I mean, that wouldn't, and if that's what you think, in today's society, you should not say it. And I think maybe there's even a part of her is like, man, I don't want to be around that bitch at the White House. Let her go. So, look, I think she understood she had to play the politically co correct role. It would like calm everything down, and it would be good for her because she's coming off very well. But I think there's a realization in today's American society that if you are white, in many instances like this, you are expected to capitulate your true feelings. Yeah, I, the people running around like, well, even Caitlin Clark said it's fine. Like, what did they expect her to say? Yeah. She had no choice. She can't say what she really thinks. Everybody knows what, you know, Reese did was stupid and ridiculous, but she can't say that. I, 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 she wouldn't even, I, I love the part that I thought was telling. She wouldn't even really touch the racial dynamic. She, th that word's not even coming out of her mouth. Uh, which I think was very smart. But yeah, she, she had no choice but to answer it that way. So now let's compare Angel Reese, who, uh, you know, isn't half the player that Caitlin Clark is. Uh -oh. Here oh, she is, go. I think, talking with the, uh, Brandon Marshall. Play the clip. The same. If we were to lose, we would not be getting invited to the White House. And I remember she made a comment about both teams should be invited because it would be the, it was sportsmanship. And I'm like, are you saying that because of what I did and what, like that stuff like that, it, it bothers me because you are a woman at the end of the day, mm -hmm. white, black, Mex it doesn't matter, you're a woman, you're supposed to be standing behind us before anything. So it's hard to see things like that and not to comment back on it, but at the same time, like I have the platform right now where I can speak out and a lot of people have had my back through it. So yeah. I'm proud to be in a situation like this and nobody's giving her grace right now. Trust me, nobody's giving her grace and that's why she's trying to backtrack on what she said, so. The damage is I don't done. accept the. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't accept the apology because mm. of you Jill, said what you Jill said. Biden. Yeah, first the, lady, the wife. Lady. Yeah, you said first what you lady. said, and you, you meant what I you said, said what I said, and like yeah. you can't go back on certain things that you you say. I mean, you felt like they they should have came because of sportsmanship, right? They can have that spot. Like we'll go to the Obamas. We'll we'll, we'll see, <laughs> I'm gonna see Michelle. Does, I'm gonna see Barack. Hold on, hold on. So did did you guys speak to the first lady? No, apparently she was supposed to come to our locker room before the game, but we said no. Before the game? Yeah, they were all. she was supposed to come to our locker room and go to Iowa's locker room. I don't know if she talked to the, the lock, them. I don't know if she did, but we said we didn't want to. We didn't, we didn't want her coming Why? to the locker room. I think Joe Biden had put somebody else to win a national championship. He didn't even put us on his, his bracket to get out of Baton Rouge. So I was like, bet. Oh, you weren't even bet. on the bracket. We weren't even out of No, we had... We were only, we didn't even get out of Baton Rouge. I think that he said oh, we were going to wow. lose to Michigan or something. Ugh. You know what? She needs to wear a little sign that says just stay away. Beware of a Yaz queen. That's what we need. Beware <laughs> of Yaz queen signs because it's just not worth engaging because she'll twist yeah. anything. 
and and turn anybody into a bad guy. You know, this she has no logic or set of values backing her opinions. She's a woman, and she should just back a woman beyond anything. That, that, that that's. That's like, oh, well, she's black, I'm black, so they should support me. He's white, she's white, so they should support each other over skin color. This woman's so shallow, it's embarrassing. Go ahead, Steve. I mean, her nickname should be Tom or Richard because she's petty. But beyond that, she's illogical. Well, you're right then. If Jill Biden had only made it a point to go to Iowa's locker room, I could see it. But she wants to go both. She's supposed to be neutral. She is the first lady. And I'm, I'm still not so sure why Jill... For as illogical as that invite was, I will agree with you on that. Only winners should go to the White House. Why, why does she have to apologize? I, I, I just don't get it. And about her wanting to see the Obamas. So instead of going to the White House to the actual president, you want to go visit Martha's Vineyard. I mean, does, does she realize that's where the Obamas live in a nice gated community with a lot of other, I don't know, I hate to say it, folks that don't look like her? Okay, <laughs> wait for that invite. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's being FedExed right now. Next day air. Uh, look, I hope. You know what? I don't even hope. I don't care. Let, let's hope that we don't talk about her or women's basketball for another nine, ten months. I, I think we. This is what Wednesday now. Can we get over the hump now? Can we get to some real things that we care about? You, 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 you've beaten this like a pinata. In East L.A., Jason, the candy is out. There's Tootsie Rolls. There's Snickers. Steve, there's everybody in America is talking about Caitlin Clark. Everybody understands <laughs> this woman's a big deal and that basketball game's a big deal. You can be mad at women's basketball all you I'm want, but I, I, it's, it's starting to become a thing. Women's college basketball is becoming a thing, and it's they, interesting. It might end up being better than men's college basketball. Deal you with. know... Can I say something? I've been pain. wanting to get this off yeah. my chest. Thank you, by the way. Um, this is not misogyny. It's just the truth. I don't even care about men's basketball. They've ruined that. Okay. On Monday, I would say that half of my viewing of that game was one shining moment. And by the way, Teddy Pendergrass still has it. Wow. That that thing always delivers. And shout out to Jim Nance. You got a historical run. We're going to miss you. I will say this about women's sports. The one female sport that I really like more than the men's version, believe it or not, I believe that women's softball is actually a better watch than baseball because of the quickening of the pace. And if you notice now, Major League Baseball, they're all about the clock, getting these games going. I noticed this about seven years ago. I'm working out at LA Fitness around May or June, and all the television screens are on ESPN, and softball is on. I'm thinking, oh, God, this. You know what's funny? Within a week or two, I'm like, this is a pretty good watch. The girls are really good at getting the barrel of the bat onto the ball now. it's not Every game is not just one nothing with two hits. These girls are really good with their hands because their bases are shorter. They have to be really good getting the ball out. I actually enjoy women's softball more than Major League Baseball. So it's not, to me, this gender thing. I think the entertainment value of that sport says a lot that Major League Baseball decided, you know what, we got to quicken the pace here because we are boring the hell out of most of the American audience. I like beach volleyball uh, better than any other version of oh, I'm sure you love the aesthetics there. The I'm play. sure you love the aesthetics, yeah. Jason, and I'm uh, with you. I, yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll, uh-huh, uh, right. Let's play this. Uh, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft allegedly on icy terms. Let's take Uh-oh. a look. If the Pats are 9-8 and eight and miss the postseason, is Bill Belichick back? Hmm. I mean, what's it look like? I would say, I would say that's a coin flip, Mike. 
I mean, he's then 10 wins away from Don Shula. I mean, it really requires, and it's not just Robert Kraft. I mean, think about this. If you're Robert Kraft and you say, we can't do this anymore. If you're Jonathan Kraft, don't you want to step in and say, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to move on from Bill here, 10 wins away, or do we want to just kind of move quietly and peacefully into the next segment of this? Do you want that to be the end of this dynasty where when Bill goes into the Hall of Fame and you're still around and we go there and he won't talk to you? I think those things enter into it. I'm not saying he deserves that. I'm not saying that the fans are going to love that. But as much saber-rattling as gets done, I think that there are going to be other people who would counsel Robert if they went nine and eight and said, okay, we got to get rid of him. All right, you bring up a great point. There's only so many times you can poke Bill in the ribs. I agree with that. And then on the other side, the, the soft walking, the, the fragile uh, tiptoeing around Bill and Don Shula. So the, the question is, how would you characterize the relationship right now between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick? Icy, wary. Hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I watched them last week at the Devin McCourty retirement ceremony sitting next to each other, and there was, a, there was an embrace at the beginning. But when they get a microphone in front of them, they are putting their agendas out there in very specific ways. I mean, the, the noncommittal verbiage around Mac, when you know that Robert is laying at your feet blame for Mac failing last year, is probably the biggest wishbone in all of this. So... Mm. I, I think they're wary of each other, and they're kind of peeing on their territory. Huh. Icy. Between hmm. Belichick and Kraft, I'm on Team Belichick. Well, look, this is about diminishing returns. When you marry that supermodel wife, and all of a sudden she hits that Kevin Samuels wall, and then she can't cook and clean, all of a sudden it's not such a rosy marriage. And post-Tom Brady, he's basically a 500 coach, and I'm a big Be- big Belichick fan. I have a theory, Jason. This doesn't just go back to the handling of Mac Jones, which, by the way, I think Belichick botched. You put Matt Patricia in as his coordinator? Really? That's like giving a student driver an Asian driving coach. Not good. That That is a recipe for disaster. This goes back to Tom Brady. When it came to him, I get the sense that Kraft did not make this about business. He was very sentimental, and he believed he should have been a career patriot. It saddened him to have to jettison him so unceremoniously the way he did because Bill Belichick just kind of wanted to move on because he's a pure football guy. And then, you know, Belichick thought really high of Garoppolo, and then Kraft traded him to San Francisco to seemingly buy Brady another year or two. And then it turns out Brady was still actually really, really good if he had help. And so now I think Belichick would be free from any real criticism if they're still putting up double-digit numbers. But with the handling of the current quarterback and the record, at this point, even Kraft says to Belichick, this is a production-based industry. Completely disagree with you in terms of it's way too early to jump ship on Belichick. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not, but I'm just saying that three more bad seasons before I would even more. consider firing You know he's in his 70s. Yeah. You do know he's in his 70s. And I am not saying that Belichick is on the hot seat, but like anybody else, he is worthy of scrutiny given the last three years. And the, the, the disappointing point apart about Bill 
He at one point was thought of as a football savant, and maybe he still is. I happen to still believe that. His drafting the last seven, eight years has been subpar. Look at his drafts. There's been a lot of high round busts, and that's on him. So again, um, the Patriot way is about do your job well and accountability and responsibility. So Belichick has to be held to the same standard. Yes. Uh, yeah. I thought. <laughs> I thought the second episode of Succession was just as good as the first episode of Succession. They're they're crushing it, I, and, and I I wasn't expecting this final season to be as good as it is. But mm. they, they're crushing it. Logan Roy is crushing uh. it. Tom, uh, the son-in-law, crushing it. Roman, crushing it. Uh, I, 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 th- this, this show has a chance to stick the landing and, and be in the conversation of the, one of the top 10 shows in HBO history. What has a chance? Right now, we're, we're yeah, actually yeah, debating. No, wait a minute. Right now, I've gotten the equipment out, and I am chiseling out R- Logan Roy's face on the Mount Rushmore. It's already top 10 with a bullet. The question is, is it up in that Soprano? A lot of good shows on HBO, man. Yeah. Can I just say, by the way, Connor's character at the end, when he delivered that speech about what is love to him, I thought was one of the most poignant things that I have ever seen. I was like, wow. It almost made me like Connor, the cringiest character on TV, who I'm beginning to actually like, by the way, because he has no self-awareness. But then finally, at the end, he showed that, yeah, I actually do know my place in life. By the way, when Lo- when Darth Roy went to the ATM Death Star and was just circling around the newsroom, <laughs> wow, that was such a – it reminded me of my favorite Jimmy Johnson story at Miami. They had a bad practice. Bubba McDowell told me this story. Longtime NFL guy said, Steve, my most memorable moment as a player, we had a bad practice. We're getting into a lot of trouble. Jimmy was getting heat from Tad Foot, So basically gathers us around after a bad practice. And he said, I'm going to tell you guys, you guys think you're here for four years on your scholarships, right? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Go, uh-uh. Read the fine print. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, read the fine print. Because come January now, I control your scholarships. They're one-year renewables. And Bubba said the fear in that team was palpable, that guys were going back to their dorm room trying to get their scholarship papers to read the fine print. And when he got up on that stage, Logan Roy, and he gave that speech about the expenses, but then he ended it. We are pirates. That was his version. How about them Cowboys? I said, wow. He scared the hell out of people, and then he motivated them and then he ended it on a somewhat positive note. I think there's so many layers to this. Jay, I actually think one thing. I wish the episodes were two hours long, and I wish they had another 10 seasons. I think they have just – this is the most brilliant television I've ever – I don't even know if I'm going to renew my HBO after this ends. I'm being dead serious well, about that. Right now, it's a great show. It ain't on the level of The Sopranos. It ain't on what? the level of The oh. Wire. It's not on the level of, of the Larry Sanders show. Uh, you know, you r- right now, I would put it in the same category. And it could elevate past this. What was the prison show? 
They did. Oh, uh, the one they, with I, I couldn't it. watch it. Yeah, I didn't really like that show. To be Oz, honest, with yeah, Oz. Oz. I couldn't. Yeah. I it was. Yeah, it was too much prison sex for me. <laughs> but people, people like that show. I put it somewhere in that Oz lane. But it could. You gotta remember Game of Thrones. I, it hadn't surpassed Game of Thrones yet, and I know Game of Thrones had wait a, a minute, wait, horrible. Game ending. of Thrones had about three seasons that were kind of wavering. Uh, and the, the yeah. ending yeah, of it, uh, I just, the, the line from Logan Roy, where he tells his kids, Jesus, you're morons. You are not serious people. I mean, some of these, some of these quotes should be etched out on stone tablets and hung at the Smithsonian. I'm going to personally do that. Go to Kinko's and frame them up and put them in my office. These are words to live by. Steve, I got to go. I got to go, go to the bathroom. Oh, me too. Go. We're done. Uh, play tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the when We all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just